So here's some exciting news from On Being Studios. Our podcast, This Movie Changed Me, is back. Each episode is hosted by our very own movie-obsessed executive producer, Lily Percy, and is like a love letter to movies and their power to teach, connect, and transform us. You don't have to have watched the movies in advance, but if you love Groundhog Day or The Wizard of Oz or Black Panther or Coco or even The Exorcist, you're already ahead. This is also a fabulous audio experience. Great thoughts, laughter, a few tears, and immersive movie music and moments. This season features conversations with Seth Godin, Naomi Alderman, and A.O. Scott. New episodes are out every Tuesday. If you haven't listened yet, it's time. Learn more, as always, at onbeing.org. Support for On Being with Krista Tippett comes from the Fetzer Institute, helping build the spiritual foundation for a loving world. Fetzer envisions a world that embraces love as a guiding principle and animating force for our lives. A powerful love that helps us live in sacred relationship with ourselves, others, and the natural world. Learn more by visiting Fetzer.org. The science writer and reporter Eric Vance thinks that present-day brain scientists are like astronomers of old. They unsettled humanity's sense of itself by redrawing our picture of the cosmos out there. We're now learning a huge new reality-shifting story about the universe within us. Eric Vance has investigated what he calls the theater of medicine, which, it turns out, is often more closely connected to what we believe and what we fear than to the efficacy of this treatment or that. In fact, most drugs that go to trial can't beat what we've dismissively called the placebo effect. But the placebo effect is nothing less than an unleashing of the superpowers of the brain. There's a whole theory around pain that says chronic pain isn't really something wrong with you. It's just the chemicals in your brain haven't been set to the right levels. So we're all in pain right now from whatever injuries we've ever had. It's just that your brain has set the levels of its own endogenous opioids to a point where you don't feel it anymore, which is will mess with your head. I promise you, if you think about it long enough, that will mess with your head. Uh, but it is sort of the sense of like, look, you know, you're not trying to get rid of something. You're just trying to reset the levels. And that's within us all. I'm Krista Tippett, and this is On Being. Eric Vance is the author of Suggestible You, The Curious Science of Your Brain's Ability to Deceive, Transform, and Heal. We spoke together with a live audience at the 2019 Beyond Religion Conference of the Pulitzer Center in Washington, D.C., the question I uh, often ask uh, whoever I'm interviewing is about the religious background of someone's childhood, how you would describe that. And the religious background of your childhood is very intricately interwoven with a, a lot of the science writing you've been done and certainly the research behind your book, um, Suggestible You. So, yeah, if I, just, if I just ask you to start talking about the religious background of your childhood, how you describe that now. Um, sure. So I was raised in Christian science, um, and Christian science, you know, don't go to doctors. That's sort of what they're known for. Um, and it, it, when I describe Christian science, uh, I know I'll probably offend Christian science by doing this, but this is the way I've always considered it, is it's kind of like the movie The Matrix. Mm-hmm. If you ever saw The Matrix, where basically everything you see, it it doesn't really exist. You know, the, the world is sort of a mental construct. Now, that's not a a terribly new idea. I mean, you look at the Gnostics, the ancient Gnostics, or the Sufis. Like, there's a lot of people over the course of human history who have, a lot of mystics have sort of had this idea that um, that the uh, that the world doesn't really exist. It's a construct in your mind. But um, uh, a, lot, if, a lot of physicists talk that way these days, yeah, too. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's interesting how that works. Yeah. Um, it's yeah. just, uh, um, it's an, if you take it to its logical um, conclusion, then why bother going to a doctor when you can mm-hmm. just fix it with your mind? And it isn't, um, there is very much, and I really got this from your writing, a culture of healing. Right? Yes. A practice of healing. And the way I understood it, and tell me if this is correct, is that what you're talking about is this, that there is health and there is wholeness. Yeah. And that it's this is about living into that truer reality. Well, and this, that's, yeah, it's very true. Um, this 
actually does work. Now, there are limits to it. And this, this is a, a theme I saw throughout working on this book and, and in my career, is people are not crazy. And stepping on the outside, it might look odd or crazy, but if you, if you get inside and really get to know the people involved, Christian scientists aren't crazy. They are acting in a way that is in the, they believe in the best interest of their children and themselves. It is the best pathway to health. And what I saw growing up is that, is that these things did work. I mean, obviously, I believed it. I was, I was in... Uh, very passionate for a number of years, and it did work. I saw healings happen. So mm-hmm. as when after I got out of the religion, um, well, tell me. So you went to the doctor for the first time when you were eighteen. Yeah, Is when I was right? eighteen. Tell me about that. What was that like? <laughs> well, uh, I was not a good patient. Some of you guys probably know that um, your experience with the doctor is only as good as the as the patient is willing to be. You know, to working with them. Um, I had these horrible stomach pains mm-hmm. and um, I went to the doctor and he sort of felt around on my stomach like some sort of like witch doctor, which I now know he was checking my appendix, you know, he was looking for gallstones, um, but uh, he just sort of felt my stomach and then he said, oh, it's growing pains and go on your way. <laughs> oh, no. I, was like, yeah. I have not been missing anything. Yeah, right. <laughs> if that's it, they feel your stomach and tell you it's growing pains. I didn't tell them that I had been in Mexico the year before. Clearly, I had some sort of parasite um, that hung around for another couple of years until I, for another reason, took a bunch of antibiotics and it went away. Um, but I just remember walking around being like, wow, these guys are all quacks. Like, I am <laughs> glad I have not been going to these guys for 20 years. Oh, that's funny. Um, so, yeah, you studied biology. You got into your rock climbing. You became a rock climbing guide, an environmental consultant, an environmental educator, a journal- and a science journalist. And then it seems like you – I wonder if this is true. It feels like you you didn't come out of this thinking people are lying or they're fooling themselves, but there's something happening, something else happening, and you wanted to know what that something else is. Yeah. It actually came about, I was at a, a, a brain mapping conference and one of the keynote speakers was a, a name, I, his name was Tor Wager and it's an unusual name. Also turned out to be a Christian scientist. Former Christian scientist yeah. who I recognized, <laughs> actually recognized yeah. him uh, from- Did uh, you go to the same college? Yeah, I went to the yeah. same college and I was and I was like, wow, that's weird. And he was giving a talk on placebos and, and it was a little light went off and I was like, whoa, that, you know, that, and it's a little like, I would say it's a little like, like a former Catholic <laughs> studying the brain circuitry around guilt you know i mean it's it's hard to ignore this like once you know once you get this question and you've grown up with this it's very hard to not to be you know wondering what the mechanisms might be yeah in what you've seen um and so i i was hooked you know i did a story about him and then i just kept trying to do more stories about this phenomena so you have um likened brain scientists to modern day analogs of what Copernicus did in terms of pulling back the veil, of pulling back the curtain on on a fuller reality. And and a big piece of this that you focus on are the mechanisms and intricacy of what we call the placebo effect. And, you know, how many times have any of us heard the phrase, it's just the placebo effect, right? right? Yeah. And in fact, um, it's a cornerstone of the modern pharmaceutical industry, even the medications that work, there's some kind of placebo effect going on in terms of how quickly we feel they work. And this is this huge, it masks, the, the way we've talked about placebo and treated it masks this, this huge story we haven't told about ourselves and about reality. You're absolutely right. I mean, when you think about like uh, modern medicine, what is modern medicine? Modern medicine is something that can outperform a placebo, and it's not that old. It, 1962, I think, is when the U.S. Uh, made. Um, That's the definition of a drug that works. Right. Exactly. That that yeah. is, and before that, I mean, we don't really consider that evidence-based medicine. So the foundation of what we consider medicine is: is it better than your own mind? Which is kind of nuts. Which it and, often isn't. Which it often isn't, especially. Right. And, and what I've learned and what's interesting about placebo is that it does not affect everything equally. Uh, things like pain, irritable bowel syndrome, Parkinson's disease, um, uh, anxiety and depression, uh, some autoimmune diseases, and maybe addiction, depending on how you work on that. That's a little harder to study. Like these things, you know, have these very high placebo rates. But you look at something like uh, autism or uh, OCD, There's, they have very low placebo mm-hmm. response. I also read Alzheimer's has a low... And there, is yes. there some suggestion that 
whatever, and we, there's so much we still don't understand yes. about placebo, but whatever the trigger is, that those conditions might also be affecting whatever that trigger is right. in the brain. Right, right. Uh, yeah, Alzheimer's is another one, and, and it's not clear why, but it, placebos, one of the things they do is they tap into the, the drugs you already have inside your head. Right. Cancer is another one. You can't just think away a tumor. The unfortunate thing is you can... Be, you, you can be very effective against the symptoms of cancer. So it feels like the cancer is going away. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, we don't have the tools. Your brain can't you know, pull away um, the tumor, but it can have dramatic effects on things like pain and, and, and Parkinson's. Mm-hmm. So um, you know, when they first started doing placebo-controlled trials, they, um, you know, they, they got rid of 1,000 drugs that they were using, which is, back then was a lot, that they thought worked and could not outperform the placebo effect. Uh-huh. So let's talk about what you've learned about what the placebo effect is. I mean, there is this language of it's the brain's pharmacy. Mm-hmm. Um, do you, is that, I mean, somewhere you said endorphins are little opium dens tucked away in our brains. <laughs> um, but it's actually, you've gone into much greater detail about, about what that means. And something you talk about is, uh, that is core to understanding this is that the brain is at its core a prediction machine. So explain what that has to do with this reaction of ours or well, this, this capacity. This is a great, it's a great uh, segue. This, this is a really important point. Um, if you boil down what your brain does to a single idea, I mean, this is fundamentally what a brain is you know, based on uh, artificial intelligence going, you know, going back 50 years. It is a prediction machine. Everything your brain does, it takes the past, it applies to the present to predict the future, and it does it in small ways. It's, it's basically creating a map of how the world works based on the experiences that happen to it. And if you watch a little baby crawling around, they're, like, figuring this stuff out. They're like, you know, oh, wow, gravity. Like, that's painful if you're not careful. And that's, you know, your brain learns from that, and then it learns, you know, where it can step and where it can't step. And mm-hmm. everywhere along the line, your brain is taking these observations and turning them into predictions that it uses to map the world. So... When you give someone a sugar pill and you say, this is going to take away your pain, and it's not a circus trick. This is getting down to the very fundamental role that your brain has. And when you take that pill, and if, if and this doesn't happen to everyone, but if your pain goes away, um, it's partly because your brain has an expectation that when you take a pill, your pain goes away. And sometimes it's easier for your brain to change reality than it is to change an expectation. Think of your brain as like a bureaucrat who's like, you know, look, I, I punch this paper and I get the paper. That's what I do. And you give me the pill and the pain goes away. And if it doesn't happen, I'm just going to make the pain go away rather Myself. than question why <laughs> it didn't work. I'm just like, I, I have one job and that's what I do. And it's kind of how it is. It, it, it's very hard to break these expectations. And so the placebo effect is basically taking advantage of this fact that your brain doesn't want to divert from what it expects. There's also some interesting story about the fact that if people see a physician administer pain medication, they will respond better. To, that medication will work. Yeah. Whereas if you just load the medication into the IV and they don't see it administered, it, it may not work at all. Yeah, that's, um, and, and that touches on something that actually is a new field of study for placebo, which is the social component of placebo. And the storytelling also. And the storytelling. Talk about, because that, that's also about the complexity of what it is to be human. That this yeah. is about biology, and it's about chemistry, and it's about storytelling. Well, I mean, think about going into a doctor's office in some old warehouse, and he's wearing cut-off jeans and, uh, and an undershirt, and he's got, you know, and he, like, comes in, and he's, like, smoking a cigarette, and he tosses you some pills. Like... How well is that? Are those pills going to work on you? You know, the, we need to have uh, the theater around medicine. I mean, the white lab coat, for example. Why? Why do you need that? I mean, people aren't splattering blood on them and, themselves anymore. They need to see. Like, certainly hope not. Uh, but we—that's why we have it, and that's something that we identify with getting better. Uh, and all the placebo scientists I work with, they always, you know, they stress the importance of the lab coat, and and all that theater is really important, mm-hmm. and it's a huge part. It's the stories we tell ourselves. It's about us. It's about us. Yeah. Krista Tippett, and this is On Being, today with science writer and reporter Eric Vance.
the scope, I mean, the, the magnitude of, of how it can work is also very, still very mysterious, right? I mean, there's, I mean, you said no one can, you can't cure cancer, but certainly there's stories of, right? There's, there are people walking around who had cancer and then didn't. And, and then there's this guy who feels like he's this iconic figure in this field, Mike Politich, oh, yeah. <laughs> who had Parkinson's. I mean, this yeah. is a fascinating story. They were doing a study of a drug to work on Parkinson's. Yeah. And it failed miserably. It basically, it, the results didn't look like the drug worked, but there was this one guy. Uh, so Mike, this was called Neurontin, and it was actually the second trial that they were doing. Um, and, the, and the first trial had failed. And then the, the, and the second trial, um, basically they're, they're drilling into your skull, and they're going to be injecting this chemical into your substantia nigra, uh, which is where you generate um, dopamine. And um, Parkinson's disease is a chronic deficiency in dopamine. And so they're, they're trying to jumpstart your dopamine processes. And um, it's a kind of a perfect placebo chemical because it's rewards. And so it's the, the placebo effects are all over the place. It's very, very hard to do Parkinson's research because of the high placebo rates. So uh, they always do a um, what they call a sham surgery around a Right, trial. that was astonishing to yeah. me, too. This isn't just about giving pills. It's about the people think they've been operated on. Yeah, so this is uh, basically you go in, the doctor doesn't know what he's giving you, like no one knows, and then you go in, the doctor gets a card, and it says, okay, we're doing the real surgery, and they do the surgery, which is two holes drilled into your skull. And the other one is, uh, okay, we're not doing it, and then they basically just do two divots. So it feels like you had uh, a surgery in your skull, but you didn't. And this guy went in, and he basically, this changed his life. He went from um, having trouble walking and talking to, uh, I mean, I, I kid you not, he was hella skiing. Uh, he did a half marathon. He climbed the backside of Half Dome. Mm-hmm. Like, he just, it and, changed. And years later, he's... Well, two years later, um, they finally announced, and his doctor, Kathleen, was like, We've cured Parkinson's. Like, this is it. This is amazing. And two years later, they uh, unblind the, the trial, and the trial failed. And basically, that, 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 that chemical's not really being used anymore. The company went out of business. And she was absolutely, you know, flabbergasted. And then she went through and, and looked at the unblinding, and he had gotten the placebo. He had gotten the sham surgery. Yeah. And, I mean, my question for you guys and for everyone is, would you have told him? <laughs> no. You're required by law to tell. We don't um, want him to read your book. <laughs> yeah. I don't, yeah. Um, but it's, uh, these are, um, when you have a process that, that is susceptible to placebo, it's shocking. It's shocking what it does because um, when your brain has access to like pain and a lot of the conditions, anxiety, depression, yeah. it can be uh, stunning. And this is why you don't see very many Parkinson's drugs. This is why it's so hard to get pain drugs on the market. This is, this is not a problem that is new to pharmaceutical companies. They know about this. This is a huge issue with big pharma. Yeah. So I said one thing you say is that, you know, bottom line, this is about the power of belief yeah. in our brains, in our bodies. It is, and I. It's interesting because it's not unlimited. Um, yeah. I think uh, Alia Crum, one of the researchers, said it best. She said the placebo effect is not unlimited. We just don't know where the limits are yet. Mm-hmm. Like we haven't figured out where it's appropriate, and where it's not appropriate. Um, you know, and and I think and 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 that that's there's some real lessons there because there are people who are trying to sell placebo cures to cancer patients and those mm-hmm. pe- I tell you right now those people are they're dying I mean I've mm-hmm. I've gone and done the reporting and uh, it's criminal so you, but so there are times when it's appropriate and there's times mm-hmm. when there's not I mean if you have lower back pain placebos are a really interesting area to think about and to work and to work in and, and I talked to a lot of pain doctors who frankly are desperate again I feel like the language is so off because wouldn't we really it's not that we want doctors to be using placebo, it's that we want doctors to be, get sophisticated about unlocking the power of our brains. Yeah, doctors complain a lot about um, the alternative medicine and uh, homeopathy and things like that. And it's like, you shouldn't be complaining about it. You should be learning from it. Because yeah. these people are healing 
with nothing. You know, like let's just be real. Like you know, homeopathy is not well, no, nothing external, right? I mean, right. they're healing with something internal. But if you ever sit down is, with a homeopath, yeah. like they they spend so much time with you, and and the time and the effort and the, and the theater that they put in yeah. is really effective and it's very powerful. I mean, I feel like you also were describing that in a way in Christian science where you said there is a lot of healing going on all the time. And there's this place where you you said, you know, the Christian science practitioners are always available on the other end of the phone. Yeah. And this is some lines from your book. I And um, I can still hear her perfectly graveled alto on the other end of the phone, maternal, weathered, and as tough as nails, right? That doctor you trust telling me that everything was going to be okay and that God loved me, to this day, it's the most comforting voice I can imagine. Yeah. I mean, that's also tapping into that power. There's some, there's sophisticated intelligence there. Yeah. That was my, the, my practitioner, the, my childhood practitioner um, named Lamise Shearholtz. Uh, she's since passed, but um, she was this amazing, amazing woman who just, she just could heal you with her voice. Mm-hmm. And that is not something to shirk off, you know? I mean, it's something to be studied, no question, but it's also something to be respected. And I, I think she, I don't know if she worked on it, she practiced, <laughs> because it was just such a powerful thing. Yeah. And a good doctor can be like that. But I don't think it's part of their training. You're lucky if you get one. Yeah. But it's not, it's not something that's necessarily encouraged. Mm-hmm. I, really, I really love this uh, this note, like invoking the theater. The, I, I was actually, just, I just did an interview this week with Esther Perel. Yeah. And she also talks about the theater of mm-hmm. romance and relationship yeah. and the erotic and how that actually is so much more important than technique. Or performance. Well, you. I mean, <laughs> and this is another realm of technique and performance. Okay, fine. <laughs> <laughs> you want to get it out? You got no, a whole no, other thing no. on Viagra I, I could talk about. <laughs> so, the last chapter in the book. Yeah. Um, uh, He's no. not. It really is. He's not kidding. <laughs> uh, yeah. No. I mean, I think we are storytellers, right? I mean, like this yeah. is. I mean, and of course, we, I say this because I'm a storyteller, so like it's, I'm a little biased, but. Um, you know, your brain is trying to make sense of the world. Like that is fundamentally what it's doing. It's trying to make sense of the world so it doesn't get eaten by a lion, you know? And, and part of that are these stories that, you know, and, and, and pharmaceutical companies do the same thing. Like the placebo effect is the worst enemy of the, of the pharmaceutical company right up until the point when it gets FDA approval. Then it becomes his, their best friend. And you see these like, you know, these advertisements. The where ads like, on television, yeah. how, how wonderful your life will be once will you be. take this pill. Or like the, like the, the cartoon where like you're all red down here and then you take this pill and it like turns blue and it's like oh the magical yeah. soothing blue pellets that like somehow are released by the thing and it's like yeah. oh I just this is the blue soothing you know but you know so you know what I thought of though like, what, with the, how does that work the, I mean there's so there's so much going on here that's that has so much resonance and relevance for other yeah. areas of our life together yeah um, what you said a minute ago about there is this idea that we are already healed but we have to live into that. Right. We have to believe in it and mm-hmm. and make it more true. And I was actually thinking of um, social change makers. I was thinking about John Lewis talking about, <laughs> okay, here we go, uh, about, about during the civil rights movement that what they had to do mentally was to live as if, if yeah. right? Yeah. That the beloved community was there it, it was the true reality and the true wholeness, and you had to act accordingly, even if what was in front of you didn't correspond to that reality. I mean, right? That, that's fundamentally That's a dynamic I, in human yeah. society. That's fundamentally what I was raised with, uh, which mm-hmm. is cool to talk about when you're in your 20s, but try explaining that to your classroom, like when you're in the second grade, show and tell. Like, oh, yeah, none of this is real, You just, but we assume it's real. Right, <laughs> you know? right, like, right. But, yeah, no, you're yeah. absolutely right. No, that's exactly... The way to hack the brain. I mean, I, I, I see this a lot. In fact, I talked to one pain doctor. I mean, the, the place to really understand this, I think, the best is with chronic pain, which is a huge problem in our country by itself. But it also is the, the foundation of the opioid crisis, you know, and understanding uh, most of these opioid, opioid addiction, a lot of it comes from 
prescription drugs related to chronic pain. Yeah. And pain doctors are really struggling with how to how to treat pain that doesn't involve you know filling people up with opioids. And uh, and one of the doctors, you know, the world-renowned researcher who was I think established enough in his position to be honest with me, said, "Look, I'm I'm lucky if I can help forty percent." Of my of my patients, I mean, if I'm a baseball player, I'd be making millions. But as a doctor, that's not a great number. And he's one who actually says he recommends his patients, like if you're a lapsed Catholic, go back to church, like try it. Because first of all, he, you know, he, he he's looking for anything. But second of all, he wants to create a sense, even if they're continuing treatment with him, that good things are coming. That, you know, that mm-hmm. there is an order. There's there, that, like, prediction, expectation yeah. again. And just, you know, and just going back to church and feeling like they're, you know, getting some sort of sense that this will go away, that good things are coming, like, mm-hmm. is is the first step for him. I mean, and he's, you know, he's willing to try anything because it's very, very tough. And there's a whole theory around um, around pain that says that chronic pain isn't really something wrong with you. It's just the chemicals in your brain haven't been set to the right levels. And and then it's a matter of so we're all in pain right now from whatever injuries we've ever had. It's just that your brain has set the levels of its own endogenous opioids to to a point where you don't feel it anymore, which is will mess with your head. I promise you, if you think about it long enough, that will mess with your head. Uh, but it is sort of the sense of like, look, you know, you're not trying to get rid of something; you're just trying to reset the levels, and um, and that's within us all. And yeah. so trying to fix the knee or do something, inject something that will that will you know, make the pain go away, well, we have it in us, in theory, to be free of it right away. You just have to figure out how to convince your brain to do it. After a short break, more with Eric Vance. And you can find this show again in three of the libraries at onbeing.org. Body, Healing, and Trauma, Brain and Neuroscience, and Science and Being. We created libraries from our 15-year archive for browsing or deep diving by theme, for teaching and reflection and conversation. Find this and an abundance of more at onbeing.org. On Being is brought to you by the John Templeton Foundation. Harnessing the power of the sciences to explore the deepest and most perplexing questions facing humankind. To learn more, subscribe to their newsletter, Possibilities, and discover the work Templeton supports on topics from curiosity and kindness to evolution, black holes, and the origins of life. Sign up at templeton.org forward slash possibilities. I'm Krista Tippett, and this is On Being. Today, we're exploring the brain's theater of healing, also known as the placebo effect, with science writer and reporter Eric Vance. Something I noticed, because I was, I was reading um, articles that have been written about your work and interviews you've given, and I, I noticed that, that there was still this kind of dismissiveness and defensiveness in the science journals, right? Yeah. What they picked up on was... And we haven't talked about this, and we probably should, the nocebo, right. which, it, which is actually the same, it's that same power of belief. It's the, it's the dark side of that, which is the power of fear. Right. And that, I mean, that also, talk about something that has relevance in all kinds of things about our life together these days and in the world. Um, so they picked up on that, mass hysteria. Yeah. Caused yeah. by our brains. Yeah. Um, and the Scientific American podcast interviewed you, and the title was, your brain is so easily fooled. Yep. Yep. <laughs> and National Geographic, here's what placebos can heal and what they can't. That, yeah, he was very hung up on that. I mean, because it's, you know, it is, there's this desire to sort of like put limits on it. And I think yeah. it's important uh, to put limits on it. But yeah, uh, it's worth mentioning placebos are actually probably more powerful than placebos. Mm-hmm. All the evidence we have is that, is that they, they're easier to create and they last longer. Mm-hmm. We'll say a little bit about nocebos. So nocebo is a, is a, it's a, um, think of it as, uh, you know, if a placebo is, this will make your pain go away. <laughs> think of nocebo as, this is really going to hurt. You know, like I'm going to do this thing. It's really going to hurt. You ready? It's really, really going to hurt. Like that, I mean, you can sort of feel just even my, my saying that, like that there's this, um, 
It will hurt. It will hurt. It will and, really and hurt. These studies that they do, you know, basically a lot of them are give someone pain, and then depending on the story you tell them, rates, you know, that pain is higher or lower than what someone would have. They didn't have any story. That's a lot of the placebo research, the way it goes. And that higher pain is the nocebo, and that applies to a lot of other different things in, in the world. Now, um, they're hard to study because you can't, you can't go to a Parkinson's patient and give them a pill and say, this is going to make your Parkinson's worse. Like, that that no one should ever do that. So this is where you take that you take that uh, that desire our brains have to be predicting mm-hmm. and preparing and you turn it in you you channel it into fear. Right. And there's and you say there is nothing more powerful that yeah. happens in our brains and bodies than fear. I mean you tell this interesting story about how you ran up against this in yourself when you had to vaccinate your baby. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I, you know, I'm a, um, I'm a science writer. I've written, I've seen the data, I've written about autism and, and I've written about vaccinations. There is no connection. I, I've seen it. But when you, when that guy pulls out that big old needle and comes after your kid, you don't rational like rational thought is not what's happening. Like, and, and I was worried about, you know, autism with my kid and that the the science writer part of my brain was so embarrassed about the rest of my brain. Like, I don't know this guy. I'm not here. I don't know where this guy came from. Right. And uh, and so rather than not tell anyone, I decided to write a story for NPR about it, which may or may not have been a good idea. But um, but the point is not, you know, like, do you know, is autism a thing? Like, the point is, like, the power of fear. Yeah. And that's... Uh, you know, and and that's for a science writer. You know, like yeah. it. I understand fully why the um, th- anything with with your kids is, um, you know, why there's so much fear around. You know, not just uh, vaccinations, but a lot of things with your kids because it's oh. powerful. It's powerful. And and if you think about it, it's, it, from an evolutionary perspective, it makes sense. Like you know, which is a more important uh, you know feeling to have as to when we're surviving in the in the forest, like fear or you know, hope and optimism, <laughs> you know, <laughs> right. like probably yeah. the fear yeah. because that'll keep you from getting eaten by the lion. Um, yeah. So it's, it's, uh, it is, it makes sense why it's more powerful, but it's definitely, and, and, the, and acknowledging this, I think acknowledging this is the, 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 is, is the most important thing, understanding that these, these things exist and that none of us are immune to them. I mm-hmm. can't stand when people say, oh, mm-hmm. look, I, I'm not a sucker, but echinacea really works. It's like... Well, you know, you are a sucker, but so am I. We're all suckers, like every one of us. And, you know, Echinacea, if it works for you, I'm not going to say anything. Well, <laughs> well, and I also think um, taking seriously the power of fear um, is really important. I mean, I, I was um, at Stanford earlier this year and, and had a conversation with some physicians some mm-hmm. in the medical school. And they're working with young residents who um, sometimes end up counseling uh, parents who don't want to vaccinate their child, right? And the conversation we were having was about, was very pragmatic. It was, it was about how can that be a fruitful, productive conversation? Right. And the fact is that, that the young residents, as I was hearing, often went into that really dismissive of the fear, yeah. annoyed with it. Kind of like you were annoyed and like embarrassed by it, annoyed like you were. In, it sounds like when you were there in the doctor's office, you were these warring parts of your right. brain were having yeah, this kind of fight. Um, and yet, we would be applying our more complex intelligence from what we're learning through science about ourselves and our fellow humans to not to honor the irrationality, but to honor the fear. Because, right, the only way, because actually what happened like in that, that room, wasn't like that. that true that the doctor, I'm remembering it now, that he, he said at some point, I think I wrote this down, maybe you need a lollipop, Dad? Yeah. <laughs> well, the doctor couldn't figure out why I was so upset. So right. I was like, does Daddy need a lollipop? Does Daddy? You know? <laughs> but, see, but honestly, that was quite, right, that's actually what's needed. Yeah. When we're dealing with something that is about our humanity, uh, like it or not, attractive or not, um, that we deal at a human level with each other. I think in in all of this, what is needed is empathy. We can all start at least coming, you know, at least finding some bridges to bridge the gap. And if you guys haven't been on Twitter and seen the wars between sort of rationalists and people who are, you know, alternative medicine people, like they're not nice. And and 
if we can use the same language and understand that the people's experiences, uh, they are real mm-hmm. and that we're having these experiences. And frankly, if you can rub a crystal on your, you know, on your arm and have pain go away, you are the lucky one. Like your your rational friend who doesn't have any of these you're, things work for you're them. You're better at unlocking your brain's pharmacy. Yeah, for- and you have a tool that they don't. You know, yeah. like it. Yeah, you have that capability to unlock the, the the drugs that are already in your brain, and and you can do something other people can't. Like that is give me the choice. I would much rather. Uh, be that person and then just stay in pain. Yeah, then just stay in pain and be and be right. You right. know, like that right. doesn't that doesn't help. All right. I'm Krista Tippett, and this is on being. Today with science writer and reporter Eric Vance, we're at the Pulitzer Center in Washington D.C. So uh, Liliana Maria Percy Ruiz, uh, the executive producer of On Being, is going to facilitate the Yes, just read some questions from all of you. And the first question is for Eric. Can you talk a little bit about why the placebo effect wears off? What's actually happening in the brain? This person says that they once had acupuncture for pain with amazing results, but the effects wore off after a few weeks and subsequent acupuncture treatments had zero effect on the pain. Hmm. Yeah, uh, that is a great question. Um, so in the case of acupuncture, let's assume it's pain. Again, the, the thing is most often studied is pain. Um, you have to reset the way the brain actually perceives pain and, and simply sort of having a placebo rush of endorphins, which is what we're talking about. These are endogenous opioids, but the other word for them is endorphins, um, is not resetting the brain. It's getting a rush of endorphins. And so... Um, Resetting the brain is not easy. That's what we're talking about if, if it's chronic pain. Let's say it's a stomach pain and there's something going on in your stomach, like that will surface out again, like that mechanism will come out again. And even if it's just a, a mental pain, like um, fibromyalgia or something like that, like that will reassert itself. And to actually reset and make that pain go away, it seems to be a much longer process. And we don't really understand that. And we also don't understand different people, how they respond to that. This next question is tied to that a little bit, which is, do you have a hack or an easy way for people to teach themselves to tap into their brain? This is like, where we get to talk about hypnosis. Oh, my God. Hypnosis is amazing. If okay. So this is the most fascinating thing that you are so big. That hypnosis to you is a way to channel this stuff. Well, hypnosis, what's interesting about hypnosis, it's actually not placebo. Because you can give people this, this drug that, that makes placebo effects go away, and the hypnosis still works. So it's definitely other mechanisms that are involved. And why it hasn't been studied more, like we've been, you know, doctors have been doing it since the mid-1800s, and it got a bad rap for a bunch of different interesting reasons, which you can read about. But, um, like, I always point to, to Bram Stoker's Dracula. If, if you look at the difference between when the book was written and when the first movie came out, uh, when the book was written, the good guys did hypnosis, and that's how they found Dracula. By the time the movie came out, it was the bad guy who was doing hypnosis. Uh, so it got a bad rap, but it is an incredible... Like, but the problem is, is it, it doesn't work on everyone. Like, you have to be hypnotizable. And there's some, certain people who are not very hypnotizable. So you said it's a talent to be hypnotizable. It's a talent, and I don't have it. And, like, as I, I tried to get hypnotized a few times, and, like, I was like, am I hypnotized? I think I'm Oh, I'm hypnotized. No, I'm not hypnotized. Oh, wait. Yeah, now I am. No. <laughs> you know, and it's like, that doesn't work. So I'm low on the scale, so I don't really have that tool available to me. Mm-hmm. Um, but that, so that's a great hack. I don't know if it's a hack. Um, all of the hacks that you ha- that there are, vary from one person to the next. And I always say, throw yourself all the way, like alternative medicine, throw yourself all the way in, but leave like one foot out. Like try a bunch of different, because the storytelling is important. So, you know, maybe homeopathy story doesn't resonate like uh, acupuncture story, but don't let someone tell you, you know, not to go to a doctor, especially if it's a serious disease, because there are mm-hmm. people who will so do So that's this. what you mean by keep one foot keep out. one foot out, okay. you know, and, and don't don't put your life in jeopardy. But yeah, the hack would be look for stories that resonate for you. And, and if you kind of think it might be a placebo, that doesn't mean it won't work. Like you can give people placebo pills and say, these are placebo pills, and they will still work because a lot of this is unconscious and you can't help it. Um, I will say, so reading my book also will not hurt you from getting a placebo effect. <laughs> Buying my book won't affect that. 
Writing my book might. That <laughs> might, but um, yeah. I, if you guys, hypnosis is another one. Like, it's not a placebo. It's just we just don't know enough what it is. And uh, that's like, if you guys haven't tried that, find out if you're hypnotizable. If you are, you got a whole bunch of tools to play with. <laughs> this next question um, came up a couple of times and in a few different ways. So, are there any studies comparing healing rates between religious believers versus atheists? And then a similar question around positive people versus cynical people. Yeah, unfortunately, um, there have been many efforts to figure out who the placebo people are. And these efforts have varied from uh, personality type to age to gender to race to anything you can think of. And they've never found a correlation that sticks. They've claimed they found them and then they disappear. There are no... I mean, we all kind of know people who, like, you think would fit. Like, oh, that's, a, that's someone who responds. But when you get a bunch of people together and you do scientific work, it doesn't seem to work. The one thing that seems to be the um, exception to that is genetics. There's a few genes that may be related to, uh, certainly with pain, because, again, easy to study. Um, and it, it would make sense that there are a few other conditions where the placebo rate there's there's some researchers who are trying to compile all the genes related to placebos right now at, and at Harvard mm. and um and that would that would start to be a map of who is susceptible right well the idea would be that if you could put them all together because some of them cancel each other out and they so if you yeah. have one that's aiding the placebo and one that's hurting the placebo and you have both of them like they would like but it would depend on where they enacted because right. one would be the surface of the receptor and another one would be further down the line. So these things get real complicated real fast. Um, but if you just look at personality, it doesn't work. And if you just look at gender, it doesn't work. So kind of to the theme of this Pulitzer conference, um, you know, you, you've ended up as a – you're kind of straddling, at least with this work, not mm -hmm. with all your reporting, but with some of your reporting, both the fields of science and religion – and my observation is that you, I mean, you actually end your book w with a little bit here, a little bit sad that these two worlds that you've been. Oh, that's right. Yeah. yeah <laughs> that, that they don't engage with each other and illuminating each other. And I, I think you use beautiful language. You say, um, or that there's this feeling that you have to choose between the two, which is a false choice. Um, you say. Uh, and I mean, I love the way you open that up. You know, so you say the human mind is an elaborate, ever-changing human palace and that it has all these secret passageways we have yet to comprehend and we really don't know. Yeah, it's this is not easy stuff to understand. And A, it's not easy stuff. B, anyone in this room could probably come up with a really good study that no one's done. Um, like it's just there hasn't been funding for it. Um, and it was hard. I was hoping at the end to sort of bring my... You know, I sat down with a Christian science practitioner and, and it was trying to bring my childhood together with sort of my, my quote-unquote rational, you know, scientific uh, reporter life. And um, I, I don't know that I did. And I, I feel like there's certain things that leaps that people aren't willing to make. And um, But I do think that there's so much opportunity, like you said, in, in, in the brain and the mind, however you want to call it, is a fascinating, vastly confusing place. And um, it's so big that th th we're just scratching the surface. Mm -hmm. And with this particularly, because placebo has spent so much time in the doghouse as being this sort of, you know, hippy-dippy thing, that we're only recently starting to be able to have the tools to actually look at these things. We're going we're gonna to see a whole new picture of the brain in the next generation. I mean, the placebo is the natural thing, right? It's, I mean, you could just call it natural healing, or that yeah. sounds like a methodology, but just... Yeah. Um, you, you your could, body's you could, ability to heal itself. You could rephrase uh, Hippocrates, uh, you know, the Hippocratic Oath to basically be, um, let the placebo effect happen. Right. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Like, you could just, yeah. you know, just... Because that was yeah. his whole thing, was like, look, you know, let's not, like cut you into pieces or like sacrifice you know goats to the god of war like yeah. let's just see if this takes care of itself but he didn't yeah. know the placebo was but he certainly understood and he watched yeah. it and he knew that you know do no harm was basically um lay down for a while let's see if this if the placebo effect takes care of right. it do you um does the language you know in in your work the the mind body language appears a lot and i think the mind body spirit is implied in there. I mean, you can define spirit in mm -hmm. so many ways. I, I have this theory that, you know, a hundred years from now, people will look back and th see how we used that phrase yeah. and think it's like 
people talking about four humors in the body. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, does that is there is there a distinction for you now? It's a false dichotomy. Um, the mind, there's no mind body uh, unless you want to be like mind body stomach, because the stomach has almost as many nerve endings as the as the brain. Yeah, I think it's your second brain. So like, let's not cut the stomach out of this. Like, stomach's also like no, it's your whole body. Like the the yeah. body is the body. You know, and the mind is a, is a part the of brain that. Is, yeah. It's just you know, it's just the part you really don't want to shut off. You know, like it's a part that your body really doesn't want to get hurt. But like other than that, it's just, you know, the, separating the mind from the body is really pointless. The whole thing, I mean, you look at dopamine, right, which yeah. affects Parkinson's, it affects reward. It also affects digestion and movement. Like a lot of the, your brain's functions, it's doing double duty. These things are, you know, this is not like, oh, we're in brain town now. Right. This is your whole body working together. And so trying to break it apart, it's just, it's just something we've sort of constructed. Yeah, yeah. So, so um, just to illustrate that, one of the ways you described how placebo happens, which I, I didn't completely, I had trouble visualizing it, but that it goes backwards. Oh yeah, right. So because this <laughs> is, this illustrates this. That yes. So, uh, so the, uh, just really quickly, uh, if you can imagine burning your hand on a stove, and then you put your hand in like ice cold water, that sensation would go up your arm, up to the back, you know, the back of your brain, go through sort of the. I hate to use this, but the lizard part of your brain, that you know, up to the thalamus, into the hippocampus, uh, the anteriorcigulate cortex, excuse me, uh, into the um, the front part of your brain, you know, the, the prefrontal cortex. And you'd say, oh, God, that feels so good. I'm just going to leave this in here for a while. Um, a placebo effect does a lot of the same things, but it starts in the prefrontal cortex and goes backwards. And it works its way backwards to those other parts, to, to getting to the fear parts and everything later and releasing chemicals as it goes. So this is where you have a belief. Right. Or an it expectation. Front, and it works its way And back. then it goes, and then your, and your hand gets better. Right, right. Right. And, and so. they've also sort of teased apart the unconscious versus the conscious, which aren't exactly the same pathways or different pathways. Mm-hmm. So we're learning a lot of cool stuff. Yeah. How do you think you walk through your days differently or parent differently because of these things you know? Uh, I have a whole different perspective. I have a little three-year-old, and when he falls down and goes boom, and I kiss it and make it better, like that's a whole different thing now. <laughs> it's like I'm releasing some serious chemicals, and uh, I'm a lot more comfortable lying to my child. Um, other than that, I mean, I try to lie to myself as much as is healthy. <laughs> you know, I mean, uh, I know that the fizzy drink that makes my cold go away doesn't really work, but if it's fizzy. One hundred percent, I'll I'll buy it. Like anything fizzy, I you tell me this is fizzy and it you know it'll turn your hair green. Like I'll believe you. Fizzy drinks are magic. Uh-huh. Uh, I will one hundred percent look for my own hacks and try to figure out how this works. And I also, you know, I also this is giving me a lot more empathy for people who um, would otherwise like, oh, you're such a fool. Like whatever your thought is that I don't agree with makes you you know worthless. Like that that idea at least you know it always comes back up because I'm human, but. Um, that I mean, this helps you sort of get past that and understand that people's reality is really their reality. It's not. This is not their imagination. Mm-hmm. That's really what's happening. Um, so this is a huge question, and you don't have to answer it, but I just want to start thinking it through in front of all of us. Um, the question of of what it means to be human, and you know how you might start to answer that differently after all this research you've done and this this place you've gone in your mind and in your experience? Wow. You're asking me. Uh, um, I feel like I'm massively unequipped to answer that question, but I do think that there is this unifying thing about belief and belief affecting your body that is universal and it really is who we are. And, um, there is no getting away from it. Like this idea that somehow you're too clever for belief to completely change your reality you know, as soon as you think that you are running, you, you are setting yourself up for problems. If you think you're above this somehow, or that rationality has gotten you someplace where other people aren't, uh, this is something we all do, and 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 we all look for patterns and we look for things that make sense. And when we find those things, we are susceptible to um, to changes in our certainly in our body and also in our reality. It gets back to that idea about the you know making predictions. That's what our brain does, and those predictions. They create this tapestry of of reality and expectations, and the, w- the way we see everything fitting together that is just as flawed and amazing as the person next to you. And so, I think that's what we're talking about: is this tapestry of the the map that we've created about the world that is not 
accurate, but it's kind of awesome. And we all have one. And that's just being human. Like, that's just who we are. Thank you, Eric Vance and Pulitzer Center. And thanks, all of you, for coming. It's fun. Eric Vance is a Pulitzer Center grantee and the author of Suggestible You, The Curious Science of Your Brain's Ability to Deceive, Transform, and Heal. His work has appeared in several publications, including the New York Times, Harper's Magazine, Scientific American, and National Geographic. Project is Chris Hegel, Lily Percy, Maya Tarrell, Marie Sambalay, Aaron Farrell, Lauren Dordal, Tony Liu, Aaron Colasaco, Kristen Lin, Prophet Adewu, Eddie Gonzalez, Lillian Vo, Lucas Johnson, Damon Lee, Suzette Burley, Katie Gordon, Zach Rose, Siri Grassley, Nicole Finn, and Colleen Shuck. Special thanks this week to Natalie Applewhite, Peterson Jamunge, Ed Ilgenfritz, and the rest of the Pulitzer Center team. The On Being Project is located on Dakota land. Our lovely theme music is provided and composed by Zoe Keating. And the last voice that you hear singing at the end of our show is Cameron Kinghorn. On Being is an independent production of The On Being Project. It's distributed to public radio stations by PRX. I created this show at American Public Media. Our funding partners include the John Templeton Foundation, Harnessing the power of the sciences to explore the deepest and most perplexing questions facing humankind. Learn about cutting-edge research on the science of generosity, gratitude, and purpose at templeton.org discoveries. The Fetzer Institute, helping to build the spiritual foundation for a loving world. Find them at fetzer.org. Calliopeia Foundation, working to create a future where universal spiritual values form the foundation of how we care for our common home. Humanity United, advancing human dignity at home and around the world. Find out more at humanityunited.org, part of the Omidyar Group. The Osprey Foundation, a catalyst for empowered, healthy, and fulfilled lives. And the Lilly Endowment, an Indianapolis-based private family foundation dedicated to its founders' interests in religion, community development, and education. On Being is produced by On Being Studios in Minneapolis, Minnesota.